All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith, and welcome to our special Remembrance Day show today. And today we pay tribute to the Canadian men and women in our Canadian Armed Forces. And it's our opportunity to say thank you to all the members of the Canadian Forces. And, of course, remember all the veterans who have served Canada over so many years. Did you know that more than 2.3 million Canadians have served in our forces over the years since Confederation? More than 120,000 have made the ultimate sacrifice and laid down their lives for us and our freedoms. And that's why Remembrance Day is so important, as we remember our veterans and pay tribute to them, their selflessness, their dedication, and their courage. And I encourage you to hang around here with me on the show today as we do just that. Phone the buzz line for me today, okay? So this is your opportunity. If you want to pay tribute to a loved one, a family member who served in the armed forces, please call me with your memories and your tributes. And you know, these buzz line calls are already coming in. Let's have a listen to one here right now. I'm thinking of my grandfather who was injured at Dieppe in the First World War and came home wounded. And my dad, who served in the 142nd Air Force Squadron and served in the Second World War, who passed away in 2013. Okay, thank you for the calls. Keep them coming on the buzz line. We'll try and play as many of these as we can today. 604-331-BUZZ is the number to call. 604 331 2899. Okay, we've got some great Remembrance Day guests coming up. Let's kick it off right now with my guest, a retired Lieutenant Colonel John Appleby. John is a former advisor at the Honor House Society. I'm very pleased to welcome John to the show. John, thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you for asking me. Yeah, you bet, John. Thank you. Let's talk uh, briefly about your own service to Canada. You were uh, in the uh, Canadian Military Reserve for an Army Reserve, right, for a lot of years. Yes, I, I was. I was looking at my commission scroll the other day and found out that it was 60 years ago, almost to the day that it was signed. And I, then I did 30-odd years um, continuous service as a reservist. And, wow. Well, uh, it was uh, a very interesting time and one I appreciated the opportunity to do. Well, we appreciate it too, John. Thank you for your service to Canada here on Remembrance Day. So let's talk a little bit about um, the Honor House Society. And I've just been checking out the Honor House website this morning and the wonderful work you do there. Tell me a little bit about Honor House. Well, it was about the most dramatic effort that I think I've ever been involved in. I've been involved in raising money for other organizations in the past. But the for, for Honor House, when we first started, or first started the concept in the about 2006, um, people just simply started to come out of the woodwork to help us. And we uh, we had particularly the Vancouver Regional Construction Association that took us on as a, uh, as a project. And um, I think the most dramatic thing that I saw there was one night we were building the house in, in, in New Westminster and... Uh, there was a 30-something plumber in there um, at about uh, about 9 o'clock at night working away, and that he just felt it was something that he did to contribute to what veterans in particular had to offer. And I thought, oh. my gosh, if a 30-something is doing that right now, I guess the 30 years I put in uh, had some effect. Yeah, sure. It, show, it shows that people care and they do remember. Yeah. And and Honor House is a place where 
families can can stay free of charge when they have a loved one who's receiving medical care, right, in the metro area. That's correct. And yeah. we also have another um, a, a ranch um, up in uh, outside Ashcroft um, where we can put on PTSD programs. The uh, pro- programs like that aren't a, an easy fit in the house itself. But having ha- received a donation of this uh, of this ranch, uh, we can now go into this aspect of the business, which was really needed, I think. Right. And when you have a, a, a Canadian veteran who is receiving some critical medical care, I mean, I'm sure this is just a wonderful resource for the families. They can stay at this beautiful this. I'm looking at the pictures of the Honor House in New West. That's a that's a beautiful looking house. That's like a heritage home, right? Yes, it is. It, it was built in the in the 1930s and wow. um, it uh, went through several iterations and it wasn't in actually the best condition but, uh, when when we took it on. So the sponsors that we had completely rebuilt it literally from the ground up and uh, so they kept the fascia um, but everything uh, they basically built a new house inside it and, okay uh, so it, it's it's worked wonderfully well and uh, on the one hand i'm sorry it has to be used but i'm very grateful it is there to be used yeah, and you des- and you guys deserve a lot of credit over there for that john thank you very much for spending some time with us here this morning john thank you indeed for calling All right, let's take some time on Remembrance Day now to think about the brave Canadian men and women who have served in uniform for their country. And when they return home and transition back to civilian life, that can be a difficult journey for many. Happily, there is help out there. Let's discuss now with my guest, Tim Laidler. Tim is the founder, co-founder of the Veterans Transition Network. And I'm very pleased to welcome Tim back to the show. Hey, Tim. Hi, great to be here. It was nice to talk to you again, and I'm very grateful to you for taking the time on, a rem- on Remembrance Day once again this year for us. Tim, let's talk a little bit about y- your service. Can you tell me about the, your time in Afghanistan? When, when did you serve there? Sure, yeah. I served in Afghanistan in 2008 uh, with a convoy escort platoon. So our, our job was to guard supply convoys between Kandahar Airfield and all the different Ford operating bases around the Kandahar province. Well, what was that? What was that like for you on the ground there? Yeah, well, I, I was 22, so you know, getting over there obviously was it was pretty exciting for for all of us. And um, we, uh, you know, young guys got to do the job that we had trained to do. It was definitely a medium level stress, though, the whole time. It was um, watching out for roadside bombs or suicide bombers. That was the the main threat, and every day having to look out for these uh, possible threats definitely has a, a toll on you as, as a person. You uh, become hyper vigilant to survive, and uh, we we did our job really well. But uh, what I obviously found is that that does have an impact on you when when you come home. Well, may I say to you, Tim, uh, on Remembrance Day, thank you for your, your service to Canada. I'm, I'm very grateful to you for that. So let's talk about your, uh, your transition when you came home. When, when did you return to Canada after your tour there? So I came home after eight months in 2008, and uh, I went right back into university. And as I started to say, yeah, it was, uh, you know, no big crazy moment for myself. There was no big crisis. Everything was going just fine. I went back into school, I continued on with my life, um, but I did notice there were some differences. You know, I, whenever I was confronted with a crisis, 
Um, I wouldn't get emotional about it. I would just shut down my feelings and go into like problem solving mode. And that's exactly what we need to do overseas. But what we like, started to realize is when you're doing that in your personal relationships and saying, I just need to be rational about this. We all need to just be rational. You, you lose a level of humanity to it. And it did start to cause conflict and, and some problems in my life. And, and that's when thankfully I, I was able to find the Veterans Transition Network. Yeah, right. So you made this, you discovered this program, um, and I know it made a big difference for you in your life. Can you tell me, how did you get involved with the Veterans Transition Network, and, and what did they do for you? So it was a, a research project started at the University of British Columbia's Faculty of Education. A professor had been working with veterans since the 90s there, and, and all the veterans who served in Yugoslavia, Croatia, all those different missions throughout the 90s had been coming back and going through a 10-day transition program which has veterans come together in a group and, and talk about their experiences and sort of integrate them and figure out the impacts they're having on their lives today. So I was able to go through that program while it was a research project and it had a huge impact on my life. Um, and, and that's when I started working with the university to build the Veterans Transition Network, which is now a charity that offers that program across Canada. Well, okay, that's really fascinating. Would you, would you describe it as kind of like almost like a group therapy experience for you? Like you found a network of other of other veterans to help you? Is that what happened? Yeah, it looks very much like group therapy, but yeah. um, they've taken a lot of the medical language out of it. So you don't have to have PTSD to take part in the group. Um, they don't call the psychologists counselors. They're just facilitators. We call it a program, right? So you're saying, oh, I'm taking this 10-day program. It teaches you about communication skills and understanding the impact of your service on your life. So it really helped destigmatize a lot of it. And there was other veterans, as I mentioned, um, who had been through the program before. And these guys had tattoos up and down their bodies, and they were hardcore soldiers. But they would talk about their experiences, and they would start to release, and they would start to cry, and then, you know, drop some, some baggage of, of what had happened. And... 20 minutes later, they're laughing and joking, and I, I'd never seen a man cry like that and be so effective and strong and just process through it. It's really started to model for me as a young guy that age. I was 23 on the way you can actually process through some of the high-stress things you've been through in your life. Wow, that's, that's incredible. And would you say that the, the experience of that is like you feel like you're not alone, like there's others going through it, and that's helpful for you? Absolutely. And, yeah. and you start to realize... It isn't actually about the, the military trauma. It's just about you know being a human and going through stress, regardless if it's a, a military stressor or you know it's losing someone in your life, dealing with a, a sick parent. All those types of stress have very similar impacts on people. And as a way you can process through it, there's a time when you need to be the soldier, right? You need to have things locked down like we did overseas. And I still do it in the civilian life now, but there's also needs to be time to let that go, decompress, process through it and realize it's a completely normal reaction to abnormal situations. What can you talk, talk a little bit, Tim, about some of the people that you've helped, some of the veterans you've met? What I'm sure you've seen some incredible stories and in, firsthand and made many friends and, and seen some incredible journeys that people have been on. Like what is it? Is, is, is it typical that the people who reach out to you or people who are having trouble transitioning back to the civilian life? Yeah, we, we, we get a mix, you know, there's for sure when, we know, especially for, for typical guys, they tend to reach out for help only when they're in crisis. Yeah. So that, that is a large group of people. 
Um, but what's been really nice to see in the last number of years is people who aren't in crisis coming forward. And, and we rely a lot on peer-to-peer -peer referrals. So veterans grabbing their buddies saying, hey, go take this program. And they're saying, but there's nothing wrong with me. And they say, we know, go take it. You're thinking about getting out of the military. You're thinking about making a change in your military career. Take this program, go in with this group and, and just learn some of these really critical skills in case you need them in the future. And, and yeah, we have people coming through. They've got no major issues. And they come out the other side and they go like, wow, I did not realize that I was hanging on to a few things from my childhood that, that I didn't realize were, were impacting my career decisions. I'm so thankful I was able to process through them and understand how they were affecting my decisions around my relationships, my career. I'm going to not make some of the mistakes some of my friends have in that department. And, and that's the really rewarding piece is to see people getting help upstream before, we, before they're a headline, before they're in this you know, crisis that we hear too often about. Yeah. And I know that after you got involved in the program, it made such a dramatic difference in your life, and now you've risen to become one of the leaders of it. This is a program that's grown quite substantially too, right, over time? That's right, yeah. When I went through it, they were only running uh, uh, two programs a year, helping about 12 veterans a year in British Columbia. Now they're helping over 200 veterans a year across Canada, uh, both in French and in English, and we run women-exclusive programs as well to, to make sure they feel comfortable talking about their experiences. Yeah, and I, I, it's, I think it's awesome that a program like this exists for, for people, for sure. And do you think you need, um, we need more programs like this? Do you think these type of services need to expand? Definitely. You know, I, I've talked about this type of program being, you know, compared to physiotherapy or massage or, you know, if people get a physical injury or if they just want to stay healthy, they always, no problem to go get a personal trainer. Programs like this can be a personal trainer for your mind, whether you're in crisis or not. Uh, it can help you become more resilient. I'm hoping that we get to a place as a society as we just see this no different as a physical injury um, or, or to get healthier or stronger mentally. You can take a program like this and, and really succeed. Okay, <clears throat> Tim, for the veterans who are listening right now, and I'm sure there many are and family members and loved ones of Canadian veterans listening today as well. If people who are hearing this and are thinking, wow, I think this could program could help me. Is there, is there somewhere you can direct them to get some more information, a website? Absolutely. It's uh, vtncanada.org. You'll see the schedule of our upcoming programs. Again, they're running coast to coast. You can see the next one that's scheduled for, for your local area. Send an email to the coordinator. No diagnosis required. No doctor's referral required. Just reach out yourself, register for the program, and it'll take care of you from there. Programs offered completely free to any veteran wow. who wants to take part. I love it. That's awesome. Thank you, Tim, for coming on, and thank you for taking the time for us on Rem Remembrance Day. I appreciate it a lot. No problem. My pleasure. All right, let's talk about this fight over policing in Surrey now. This one is really heating up. Can they really go back to the future here? Go back to keep the RCMP? Slam the brakes on this brand new municipal Surrey police service? They're already well underway here in setting up this new Surrey police force. They've spent millions of dollars on it. Now you've got the new mayor and council just sworn in saying, hang on a second here. We want to do over here. We want to keep the RCMP. Forget this Surrey police service. 
You're going to slam the brakes on this whole thing. I think it's kind of funny now. You've got the Surrey Police Service, though, continuing to hire new police officers. The Surrey Police Board is saying, no, no, we don't want to go back to the RCMP. It's full steam ahead with this. But you've got Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke saying, no, I was elected with a mandate here to keep the RCMP. And we've got a plan coming out next week that will show how we'll do this. This is going to land in the lap of Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General. Provincial decision here whether they can do this or not. Here's the latest wrinkle now. Check this out. The new union at the Surrey Police Service, so this is the brand new Surrey Police Force, the head of their union here saying, we've talked to our people. They don't want to go back to the RCMP. Have a listen to Union Rep Sergeant Darren Shepard here. We all came from a variety of agencies, including the RCMP, but agencies all across the country, and came to Surrey for a reason, uh, to build something new, to build something different, and to build something better. We thought it was important that um, we get the facts out there about how many people would actually be willing to go over to the RCMP. And as you can see, the results are overwhelmingly uh, that uh, 94% of us do not have any intentions of going to the RCMP. Yeah, they say that. Out of 293 frontline police officers in the new Surrey police force, 275 of them have now signed a letter saying they don't want to go back to the RCMP and they have no intention of going back to the RCMP if that's what happens in Surrey. Let's discuss now with my guest, Cash Heed, former West Van police chief, former solicitor general of British Columbia, now a member of Richmond City Council. Councillor, thank you for coming on today. Good morning, Mike. Okay, what do you make of this? I mean, we got this back-to-the-future move going here to try and keep, keep the RCMP in Surrey. Now you've got the new Surrey Police Force officers saying they don't want to go back to the RCMP, at least according to their union. What do you make of it? Well, it's very similar to the bridge tunnels dispute on the South <laughs> Fraser, depending on what government's in power. We have to remember here is uh, this is very costly to the taxpayers of Surrey, whether you want to go with your independent municipal, which you spent a significant amount of money on in the transition process so far, or whether you want to switch back to the RCMP. What's missing, Mike, is we're not sure we're doing what's right for the people in Surrey. If you look at even the recent crime index stats, Surrey is the most dangerous place in all of Canada within the last six months. Have we really consulted with the people? Have we really said, what type of police service do you want, regardless of the color of the uniform? No, we haven't done that. Instead, we've embarked on a very political, hot topic, and it's more of an embarrassment to Surrey because regardless of the cost to the taxpayers, because of this political divide that we have, we're going down a very costly road. Okay, well, the new mayor of Surrey, Brenda Locke, was talking to our own Jazz Johal about this issue yesterday, and she said, well, hang on, we do have a mandate. We do know what the public wants here. They want to keep the RCMP because that's what she campaigned on, and she won, and her slate won a majority on Surrey City Council. So let me play a clip here for you, Cash, and get your thoughts. So this is Brenda Locke, the mayor of Surrey, speaking to Jazz Johal yesterday on this precise point. Then I'll get your thoughts. This is not a Brenda Locke decision, and this is an election decision. This is what was the outcome, a very clear outcome, of the 2022 election. 
This is something that the public have asked for. Okay, so she says this is what the public wants. She won the election fair and square. What do you think of that argument? Well, let's go back to the argument in 2018 with Doug McKellum, which she fought against later on after she ran with McKellum, where, in fact, the, McKellum said this is what the people want. We have to realize Surrey had a 31% voter turnout this time. Brenda Locke got elected on 28% of that, and she was critical of how low the percentage was in 2018 on the election. So if you want to use that and you use that excuse, it's not that clear. It's not that clear whatsoever. But again, going back to my original dispute and my original point here is we should be looking at what the people of Surrey need to make sure they're the most accountable, effective and efficient police service in that community. Yeah, okay, so Brenda Locke is also saying that this is going forward. We're not, we're not going to break our promise, our election promise here. We want to keep the RCMP, and we're putting together a report to the provincial government to demonstrate how we're going to do that. And we expect to get a preliminary report on this on Monday, and this report will go to Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General. Here's what she had to say on it. Now, she says, look, we're moving forward here with the, with the Mounties, and this report is coming out. Here's what she said yesterday, and I'll get your thoughts. Brenda Locke. The plan to reestablish the Surrey RCMP as the police of jurisdiction in Surrey is moving forward. Uh, we have already started that work. It is well underway. Uh, staff have and are preparing a report that will be going to the Solicitor General by the end of the month. Okay, and she also said there will be a, a preliminary uh, information or a preliminary report released on Monday and then a full report later in the month. Cash, what do you think of this? Like, I'm wondering how Mike Farnworth feels about this, the Solicitor General, this thing being dumped in his lap again here. What do you think? Well, this is deja vu. Back to 2018 when McCallum came out, he was going to do it. It's the exact pattern that's being followed here that Brenda Locke's following. At the end of the day, I don't think the province will turn this back. And let me explain to you why. The, pro- the uh, responsibility for policing under the Constitution in Canada is with the province here. They delegate that authority, as I've explained earlier to you, back to the uh, local municipalities, where, in fact, they're the ones that will deal with it. But if we have this pendulum that keeps going every which way on this issue, we won't get anything done in this province. So I think the, the NDP government will be wise hopefully here and not turn it back and they will be wise in the fact that they have just had their uh, provincial committee that came in and one of the recommendations was to look at those police reforms around a regional model that I've been advocating for over 20 years now and what we need so yeah. we can we can we can you know temporarily come up with something and you know we can come up with a hybrid model which we already have in place uh, in uh, British Columbia right now with our integrated units. Yeah, I have a feeling you might be right there that maybe Farnworth and and his cabinet colleagues in Victoria might be looking at this saying like, you know, we don't want to do this back and forth switch again thing and just leave it the way it is. But we'll see. We'll see what happens here. Now you've got this this other wrinkle, though, and that is these current police officers who, who are now signed up in the Surrey Police Service now saying through their union they don't want to go back to the RCMP. And if they bring the RCMP to Surrey again, they won't sign up to join the Mounties. Now, Brenda Locke, the Surrey mayor, was asked about that. What if you, these Surrey police officers don't want to go back to the RCMP? Here's what she had to say, Cash, and I'll get your thoughts. 
We will be reestablishing the Surrey RCMP in Surrey. There's just no doubt about that, Jazz. Um, and it will be, you're right, it will be up to individual uh, members of the Surrey Police uh, Union. If they choose to uh, come over, they're, uh, they are absolutely welcomed. Cash Heed, are you buying this argument from the Surrey Police Service Union that over well over 90% of their officers are saying, hell no, we don't want to, the RCMP? you believe that? Well, let me tell you, that's a non-binding agreement. But you look at some of the uh, aspects of why people went over to Surrey. Surrey was going to be a very, and it is a very experienced police service, a Surrey police service, because many of these people have actually retired from their uh, previous employment in policing. And they've come over to Surrey for that particular experience. Many have left their organization, traveled, and relocated in areas so they could be part of that municipal police service. And I don't think Brenda Law is recognizing labor law here. They're part of a union. We're going to tie this up into litigation for her entire term, four years, before really a clear decision is made. But at the end of the day, back to the point that this will be the borne by the taxpayers of Surrey. We still won't have what we call an effective, efficient, and accountable police service. We'll have this confusion, this division within uh, policing in Surrey. All right, lots of calls in Surrey Policing. Remember, it's our Remembrance Day coverage on the show today as well. And I encourage you, phone that buzz line if you want to remember, pay tribute to a loved one. Maybe you have a, a loved one who served in the Canadian military right now or in the past. And we're getting lots of calls on the buzz line here. Here's one that just came in. Today I'm remembering my father, James Elliott Mayne who was killed by a sniper's bullet at the Battle of Falais in Normandy in 1944. He was 22 years old, and I was eight months old when he was killed. Remembering you, Dad. Bye. Okay, thank you for that call. If you want to pay a similar tribute to a loved one, call the buzz line today, okay? We'll play as many of these as we can. 604-331-BUZZ is the number. 604 331 2899. Okay, talking about the Surrey police battle and my guest, Kashid. Lots of calls in the open line. Okay, Darren Shepard calling in, a staff sergeant with the Surrey Police Service. Hey, Darren. Good morning. Okay, thanks a lot for calling in. I pl- we played one of your clips, your comments earlier. What do you make of this whole thing? Like, tell me about what your officers are telling you about this idea to go back to the RCMP. Um, well, many of them didn't come from the RCMP to begin with, where we have about uh, 45% of our members that had previously served with the RCMP, and about 55% came from municipal or provincial agencies. Um, what they're telling us is that they came to Surrey to build something new. They came here for the opportunity to uh, change the way policing is done, to be part of a progressive uh, police service and a locally accountable police service uh, that respects the needs of Surrey citizens and is able to quickly adapt to what the uh, what the ongoing situations are in Surrey and respond in a more efficient and effective manner. Um, there's no desire for our membership to go to the RCMP, uh, those that have not served, or the ones that uh, previously came from the RCMP, such as myself. Okay, so if the city does keep going down this road, and if the province does approve this plan to keep the RCMP, what would happen to all those Surrey police officers right now that you represent? You're saying they would they would refuse to go over to the RCMP? They'd quit? Uh, correct. Uh, there's no oh. desire to go to the RCMP. Uh, there's other career opportunities out there. 
Um, I honestly, I don't believe this will turn around. It's gone way too far. Uh, to Mr. Heath's point, uh, a lot of uh, money has been spent on this transition. And uh, for Mayor Locke to say that she has a mandate to reverse it, uh, further to Mr. Heath's points about uh, you know, her getting uh, 28% of the vote, uh, really only 9% of eligible voters voted for her. Uh, of that 9%, I would hazard a guess that um, for many of them, it wasn't necessarily a vote against the SPS or a vote for the RCMP, but they may have had another reason for voting uh, for her, which right. is, uh, in my opinion, not a strong mandate in the least. And at the end of the day, it's the province's decision to make, and they've given us absolutely no indication that they have any interest at all in reversing the transition. Darren, thanks for calling in. Thank you. Could I pay, play a, a quick tribute to, uh, to a veteran as well? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, this will be my first Remembrance Day without my great uncle, um, Lieutenant Edward Shepard. Uh, he was one of the first Canadian soldiers to liberate the concentration camps at Vesterbork. Um, wow. So I'm missing him on this day. And um, I wish all veterans uh, a happy Remembrance Day, those that are still with us and those that can't be here. All right. Thank you very much for that. It's Darren Shepard calling in, Staff Sergeant, Surrey Police Service. He's with the union there for the new Surrey Police Force. Cash Heed, what do you think of that? Quickly, uh, uh, Mike, I know time is limited, but he yeah. makes a very good point here because these members, if in fact it is reversed and it goes back to the RCMP, these members, majority of them will go to other police opportunities elsewhere. Not many of them will go back to Syria, and as a result, you'll have a shortage of officers in Syria. It's difficult to get people into policing now. Let's go to Ed on the open line in South Surrey. Hi, Ed, go ahead. Well, you and the media, where you missed the boat by a country mile was. There should have been a referendum when McCallum first came in. But you sit there, though, you had the one fallback line. Oh, he's been elected on changing it over. He's been elected on changing it over. Well, when you guys get your ducks in order, let's do another referendum. Hey, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, You know how many times I've said on this show that maybe a referendum would have been the smarter way to go? Maybe open your ears up a little bit. I know you're a regular listener, Ed. So maybe listen a little closer to what I've been saying on this. Cash, we just got 30 seconds left here. I'm starting to wonder now if maybe a referendum on this thing should have been the smartest thing from the start. But your thoughts? Well, you recall we had somewhat of a referendum on this, and it didn't go through anywhere. But I don't think that should be it. I think it should be uh, the way it is under the Police Act. I think the province has the ultimate responsibility here, and I believe the province will make the proper decision at the end of the day. If not, they'll be the ones that will suffer the consequences along with the people in Surrey. Cash, thanks for coming on today. Pleasure, Mike. Okay. More of our special Remembrance Day coverage now, and let's talk about one of the most famous stories from the Second World War, the Great Escape, the daring escape of prisoners from a German POW camp in 1944. And this daring escape was immortalized in the movie of the same name, The Great Escape, and our own producer, Tim French, has a personal connection to this story. Hey, Tim. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. Okay, Tim, tell me this story, man, because you had your uncle was involved with this, right? Yes. Well, actually, so just uh, just to preface this story, for those people who haven't seen The Great Escape, here's just a little snippet of the movie. What were you doing, Bezavaya? Well, like I told Max, I was trying to cut my way through your wire because I want to get out. Please do, Hansen. But 
So anyway, so yeah, that's the voice <laughs> of uh, Steve McQueen, and that's him arguing with the uh, with the German officers because he just tried to attempt to escape from the camp. But anyway, <laughs> I would like to pay tribute to my great uncle Robert Fairclough. My great uncle Bob was British and flew with the Royal Air Force in World War II. He was trained not as a pilot but as an observer. Now they'd be, he would be referred to as a navigator. Uh, his duties included plotting the bombing routes and uh, taking photographs of the target during the mission, etc. Um, he flew 29 missions over Germany and France and at one point was even awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for some of the photographs that he took. Um, here's where my great-uncle Bob's life changed forever, though. Uh, on the night of April 12th, 1942, his plane was tragically shot down during a raid on some armament factories in Essen, Germany. Uh, he was the only one of a crew of seven to survive. Um, avoiding detection by the anti-aircraft guns, he managed to parachute safely with minimal injury into a forested area and was actually able to evade capture for nine days, making it as far as Holland, uh, where wow. he finally had to give himself up, unfortunately, due to exhaustion. Um, my Uncle Bob was then taken to the prisoner of war camp Stalag Luft Three, located in a small town in Poland, where he spent most of his time studying for a degree in agriculture. Wow. He also, when he wasn't doing that, he participated in The Great Escape, which the movie of the same name is famously based on. Uh, this now infamous escapes plot was to tunnel and break out 250 prisoners in a single night, in all in one go. Uh, my great uncle's role in the operation was a smaller one, and he it took place in the tailor shop, where he'd help assemble the civilian clothing that all of the prisoners would wear once they were out, because at the time they were all wearing their, their military uniforms. That would give them away quite quickly. Yeah. Um, cut to the night of the escape, March 24th, 1944. Uh, because of my uncle's lower rank in the operation, he really would have only made it to the entrance of the tunnel before the Germans discovered what was going on. Um, chaos ensued, of course. You know, the Germans quickly locked everything down. In total, 76 prisoners managed to escape. Um, of those 76 people, 50 were recaptured and shot dead. Uh, the oh. other 26 managed to stay out, make their way to Switzerland, make their way back to England, etc. These were all British soldiers. Um, my great uncle um, did not uh, get out of the prisoner of war camp during the war. He lived out the rest of the war in the POW camp and was reunited with my great aunt, who just turned 100, actually, uh, two wow. days after VE Day. Um, and my great uncle Bob also just lived long enough to hold me as a baby. <laughs> um, and anyway, so he is the one who I'm thinking of on this Remembrance Day. Wow. I love it, Tim. That is awesome. And I'm, I'm so glad it had that happy ending and he was able to get home to England. That's that's the great part of it there. But man, imagine working on that escape plot. But did he ever, did he get a chance to get in that tunnel and get out of there? Like almost got out or how um, close did he get? He would have probably gotten just to like the very mouth of the tunnel because like i said wow. his rank or his his role in the operation was a lower one so he would have drawn a uh, a higher number yeah that's a that's incredible and i it's wonderful that he was able to to get home at the end of the war the movie is awesome for people who haven't seen the movie you should absolutely check it out now the movie as i understand it has been 
uh, I don't know, exaggerated a little bit, or parts of it are not. You know, it's based on this this true escape, but I know it's Hollywood, right? So yeah. they've got to make it a little bit more exciting. But what I recall was that particular POW camp, Stalag Luft 3, as you mentioned, I think the Nazis used to brag that was escape-proof. Yeah, right? that was their... I, I'm not sure how much of the movie kind of glamorized that aspect of it, but they... Yeah. Um, in the movie, at least, they did brag that that was the prisoner of war camps for all of the prisoners who were making more daring escapes in other prison camps. And so this was like the be-all, end-all of prison camps. Yeah, yeah. But then these guys, they, they proved them wrong, and they were able to escape. And wow, that's an, that is an awesome memory and a story to be able to share your great uncle's part in it. Tim, thanks a lot for sharing that with us today. And thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it.